everybody. So we are so excited. We are here to talk about one of my favorite movies of all time. And my we're talking about Jurassic Park. And my friend Oscar is here uh, to talk about it with me. This is so exciting. The first time on the podcast. Uh, so Oscar, why don't you introduce yourself? Hello, everyone. I'm Oscar Stainson. I'm usually a reviewer of films on my own Deviantart account and my own blog. Been taking a little bit of a break recently, but I hope to get back into it sooner rather than later. Yeah, thank you so much. You have been a supporter of my channel for so long. So I was so excited to hear that you wanted to come on and talk about this uh, movie with me. And uh, this movie came out in 1993 and it was an epic year for steven spielberg i mean he had it's kind of crazy you think he had this movie and schindler's list in the same year like is incredible <laughs> this movie was probably the most influential certainly it was the most influential live action blockbuster of my whole life uh when i uh when i i saw it i was it's actually the movie that i have seen the most in the theaters of any movie because it was just in the theaters for forever i remember and uh, i was uh 12 <laughs> and i i just went and saw it over and over and i saw it seven times and and uh at least you know in my memory and uh it's it just blew me away you know the, the i don't know it's just a movie that has everything like it's it's tense it's funny it's got that awe and spectacle that like i f i feel like so many movies now they all just kind of look the same and they just don't give you that sense of Wow. What about you? What's your kind of history with this with this with this film? Well, I wasn't even a year old when it first came out in cinemas. Yeah. <laughs> right. In fact, my very first exposure to dinosaurs in film was The Land Before Time, which Spielberg also produced. Mm -hmm. And my, my parents knew that I was going through my dinosaur phase and saw that Jurassic Park was on TV on Christmas Day of 1996. They recorded it. Okay, and, it, and that thus began the process of me watching the film, being terrified of it. Yeah, I was say, that's pretty scary for a little kid. Yeah, but I, I watched it because I was so entranced by it, so mesmerized. Yeah, I wasn't into live action cinema mm -hmm. at all, really. But this film and Steven Spielberg's ET started oh. to open that up to me. Yeah, opened me up to the possibilities of what's live action cinema could do because i i was mainly an anime an animation kid yeah yeah me too and i don't know there's just something about just like the the awe and spectacle like i probably say it a million times in this in this podcast but like the the first time when they see the dinosaur and i don't know all the dinosaur names like you probably do but when they first see that dinosaur and just like their mouths are agape and there's just something and like i had never seen special effects like that or an image like that and but it's not just that it looked really cool it's that it it was uh just the, the moment with the music and the the characters and everything it just like 
you as audience, not only you were like there along with the characters with your mouth agape because <laughs> just <laughs> did you have you had the chance to see this movie on the big screen? I have on two occasions. Once was the uh, standard Blu-ray or projected on the big screen at the Royal Albert Hall with a live orchestra. Oh wow! Yeah, got, got a front row seat, and I have to say, the orchestra—the orchestra was amazing. They really did justice to John Williams' wow. iconic score. That's amazing. Yeah. But the amazing, the really incredible thing was the sound design. Something oh. you, I noticed when I was sitting that close to the screen was that the growls and the footsteps of the T-Rex reverberated through the entire hall and right through me. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, I'm genuinely terrified for the first time in I don't know how many years. Yeah. And most recently, I saw it at the Prince Charles Cinema in London, which has a 35 millimeter screen projector. So I was able to see it oh, just cool. as we saw it in 1993. And yeah. the picture quality was amazing. Yeah. It had a few, you know, bits of dust and film grain, but the colors were, were much richer. The, the, the scenes at night and rain were m much darker, more atmospheric. Yeah. And of course, the sound quality also reverberated right through you. Yeah. And since then, I've been looking at my Jurassic Park Blu-ray and thinking, mm, it's a bit bland looking in comparison. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, I would love to see it again on uh, 35 and just get the, I don't know, just that old school experience would be really, really, really cool. And but, I, also to, to add to that, on both occasions, the, the shared audience experience, oh, that, yeah. was a, that was tangible. Yeah, you you really you're laughing alongside everyone at all of the comedic beats, right. whether it's from uh, whether it's from the antics of Dennis Nedry or the sarcastic wit of Ian Malcolm, yeah, or the shirtless scene, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it really is a a, a great blockbuster in that sense. I'm like I said, I, the only thing I can compare it to is something like Wonder Woman. At least for me, when I saw that, you know, it was just like this audience was so invested in the characters and and in everything that was happening and uh and in uh jurassic park uh even probably maybe even more so but just like the the scary moments when you're watching it with an audience the the on spectacle moments the funny moments all that stuff it just nails it and i think you can really see how everything in spielberg's pedigree was kind of leading up to this moment you can see how something like jaws of course was very uh you know influential on uh on something like this the way the jaws uses music the way that it is very uh i mean i think maybe if if jaws is, has something over jurassic park it's just that they use the shark way less than the the dinosaurs in this which i think actually makes that movie scarier but uh but uh you know that was just by necessity but i don't know you can just see different things in in all of his movies about how he uses actors and how he uses uh tone and all the stuff that sort of kind of led him to making this in my opinion his ultimate blockbuster film i i think this is better than any of the indiana jones movies i think it's better just my personal i think it's i think it's his best blockbuster i would say so too there, I've said it before that Jurassic Park is my favorite film of his, 
I wouldn't say it's his greatest. I think his personal greatest achievement would probably be Schindler's List. Yeah, agreed. But on the blockbuster spectrum, then yeah, it. I think it comes above the likes of Jaws, Indiana Jones, and even E.T. Yeah, agreed. I agree with you. I, I don't know. This movie just, I don't know. I, it's, I'm sure that some people can poke little flaws and different things in it, but to me, it's, it's just about a perfect movie. Uh, in it's, terms of the plot and characters, it's actually pretty tight, pretty yeah. airtight, but there are a number of noticeable technical gaps that you notice. Yeah. Like one of the more famous ones is when there's a mechanical claw holding one of the raptor eggs hatching. In one scene, it's there, and in the next cut, it's gone. It's, there's just the egg oh. hatching. Yeah. I, I can see what you mean. And there's a, there's a little bit in the, uh, I, I did notice this time, uh, just because I was trying to look more critically and now, you know, give some critical analysis. The, it, there is the, the CGI in the, in the kitchen scene with the raptors. Hmm. It, it's, it's not perfect. It, there are a few times it looks a little wonky, but I'm so invested in the characters in that scene that I don't care at all. It doesn't bother me, but uh, yeah. but other than that, I thought the special effects held up incredibly well. Uh, that was the only time where I really noticed that I'm like, oh yeah, it's 1993. <laughs> the one dodgy effect I always tend to point to is when the Brachiosaurus sneezes on Lex. Oh yeah. yeah. The the original appearance of the Brachiosaurus, I think, holds up incredibly well for a 1990s special effects. Right, right, yeah. But yeah, I, I do. So I do see what you mean about the raptors, the CG raptors in the kitchen looking a bit. Mm, yeah, like when they're like jumping on, like it, in 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 general, it doesn't really matter that much because it's not lit all that. Like it's kind of dark, and so it doesn't it it hides it pretty good. But there's just a couple shots that it looked pretty uh, it didn't look great. But like I said, I'm so invested in the characters at that point that it doesn't matter at all. Exactly. To me all right well let's talk about this a little bit more so uh so you have read the book by michael Crichton that this film is based on and i i i've been told i i should just read it i haven't read it but um you uh you have and so you i've heard that it is a pretty loose adaptation would you would you agree yes i would say so i mean the, the essential plot remains there, and a lot of the character names are also very very much present, but their personalities are changed drastically to, to a large extent. For example, Malcolm in the books is this sort of stone-cold, serious, sort of doomsaying character, uh-huh. and obviously in the film he's a lot more laid-back, sarcastic, and quippy, you might say. Uh-huh. But I think the most egregious change is to John Hammond, it, obviously, in the film, he's portrayed wonderfully by the late Sir Richard Attenborough, uh-huh. as this calm, uh, sweet, grandfatherly figure who generally does want to see, uh, see he brought, he does genuinely want to bring joy to pe- children and people of all ages across the world. Right. The Hammond in the book is absolutely nothing like that. He's just an, in, interested in money. So I do caution if you do read the book set aside all expectations for similarities to the to the film okay so would you say sorry no no i would you say that that this is a case of the movie improving upon the book in my opinion yes yeah because 
because I believe Spielberg was able to infuse a lot of his own, own soul and his own sort of love for life, if you will, in, uh-huh. into the story and into the characters, especially Hammond. You could say that Hammond's desire to sh- show audiences something that isn't an illusion, something they could see and touch, uh-huh. something that can entra- capture the hearts of, mil- of millions and not just kids, everyone. Yeah. That sounds very much like what Spielberg tends to s- set out to do and achieved very well yeah. throughout his career. Well, and it sounds like from what you're saying that he created more nuanced characters because uh, one of the things I think sets this apart from most blockbusters and particularly from all the sequels, which I haven't been a fan of, uh, is that the characters are very well developed. I always appreciate in a film is when you have it's easy to write a well not easy but it it's easier to write a movie or a book where you have a compelling protagonist but i think what always impresses me the most is when you have a rich story where you get to know and you get to see like seven eight nine dynamic characters in your story like that is to me is great that's you really there are a ton of of developed characters that you see beginning and you know you see a full story arc which is pretty pretty impressive uh to do it's also worth noting that grant doesn't really have an arc in the book oh yeah in fact in 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 the book grant liked children and he, he was never at any one point at odds with Lex or, or Tim. Uh-huh. But in this case, not only does it make Grant more likable, but it also makes him more entertaining as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You probably remember the scene where he scares that annoying kids at the dig site with his demonstration with a raptor claw. Yeah. Which like, is so good because it really, that sets, that makes everything, it's, it's foreshadows. Exactly. It foreshadows the threat with the raptors. And what, what ex- how exactly they hunt, right? And also shows just how intense Grant is. Yeah, there is that there is something about his character that would that would that would do reasonably well in intense situations like that. Yeah, because he has such a good mind for these animals. Right, right. With the uh, Sam, Sam Neill was playing Doctor Grant, as you said, and Laura Dern playing a Doctor Sattler. And they are uh, archaeo paleontologists. Paleontologists are they are paleontologists, not archaeologists. Paleontologists, and they're at a dig, and uh, and Hammond comes, tries to get them to uh, to come and approve of his park, and he offers to basically fund their dig for three years. And uh, so they, they decide, they get on board, they come down. So Marfa is there as a lawyer and uh, he's obviously wanting some insurance because there's been an accident at the park. And uh, so that's why he brings down these, these uh, dinosaur experts and these other experts with, uh, with also Ian Malcolm. And who, who is Ian Malcolm? Like, why is he brought to the park? Well, I believe he, uh, I think it's, it's shown from the beginning that he is Hammond's m- biggest critic, you might say. Sure, sure. 
and he thinks that whatever this project is is ultimately doomed to failure because of Hammond's inability or refusal to uh, understand the complex nature of designing a, a system or reserve like this. Yeah. And he is a chaos theorist. So mm. uh, he studies, uh, he's, a, he's an academic, basically. And he, but he's uh, also a bit of a rock star. Yeah. Right. And Jeff Goldblum, of course, plays Ian Malcolm. And uh, so they they get to the the park and the first uh, first dinosaur that they see is a Brachiosaurus. And it's just done. That whole scene is done so well with that spectacle and awe and the way the music is used, the way that the actors pull it off. And it's it's I like we said, I think it really does hold up. Uh, very well. Well, what I can add to what you said is that when I first saw that scene as a kid, I just thought it was a real dinosaur, that they had found this island, that they had done some filming there, like you would film elephants in Africa. Yeah. And I just thought, oh my God, dinosaurs, they're alive. They're here. Yeah. 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 I mean, it really does feel so real. And I... uh, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's so... everything about that scene from the, the acting, the cinematography, the music, yeah, the pacing, the way it just builds up to the re- reveal of the, of the lakeside scene with the Brachiosaurus and the Parasaurolophus. Yeah. As John Williams's music climaxes. It's one of the most perfect moments in all of film history. Yeah. Agreed. And so then once we get that first moment of spectacle and awe, then they go to the this scene where they're telling you about how they did it. And one of the things I like about this movie is that it, to me, it, it they took the time to make it feel logical. Like even if technically, obviously they can't like get DNA from mosquitoes and like, and even if like literally that's not possible it's told in a way way that feels possible it feels logically consistent yeah and have gotten to see wayne knight as uh dennis nedry in this uh, early section we see him meeting with a a uh, sketchy guy uh, that is that gives him the Barbasol uh, uh, can that uh, t- he's supposed to put. He's going to sell uh, for. He gets seven hundred fifty thousand dollar down payment. He's going to get a bunch of embryos and uh, and then he's going to get uh, w- uh, like a million and a million more or whatever. And uh, so we immediately know he is up to no good. This Nedry guy. Uh, pretty much yeah so what did you think what do you think of him that character what's interesting is that compared to the other guys uh, the other characters like grant hammond and malcolm uh-huh he's a little bit more on the cartoonish side actually yeah yeah but like i feel like believable like i i feel like he definitely has this cartoonish moment but like i don't but he know he seems relatively consistent with most you know corrupt greedy employees that you might see see in some high-end businesses yeah but like he he's uh hammond's uh he's is hammond's son 
That's, is no, 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 no. You or isn't that rel- he's not related? No, he's not related to Hammond. At all. I was thinking he was for some reason. Anyway, but he has a relationship with Hammond at least, where Hammond uh, is very, very frustrated with him, and I, I think that there's a uh, there's a side of him that is trying to kind of get uh, kind of revenge on on <clears throat> Hammond. You know that he sees this, and I, I feel like. Uh, that he's a character he's one of those characters that everybody thinks is kind of stupid and so this is also kind of his way of being like you see i'm smarter than all y'all is kind of a thing and yeah, so he's very technically smart but he's not very street smart yeah 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 uh and so he has the codes and the other things that are going to that he knows how to uh make the whole park work uh on his computer and uh so he creates this whole plan he's going to turn off deactivates all the security system and everything so that he can go get the embryos of course then that makes everything uh causes all kinds of haywire because now the dinosaurs aren't you know aren't protected like their security system doesn't work and so it's a huge problem and uh so i i think he i think he works as a as a villain uh and uh feel i feel like it's i can imagine a character basically being like that like he's not too much test twirling for my for my taste i don't think uh he's and he's very consistent uh unlike some of the sequels where i feel like uh I think I know which ones you mean, like much. Vincent D'Onofrio, for example. Yeah. Yes, yeah, that character wasn't wasn't well developed or believable at all um, to me. But anyway, and so they start on this tour of the uh, of the that's going to going to be the tour, and at first, like it's a real dud because like all the all the dinosaurs are hiding. And, uh, and of course, they have to get out of the car to actually get up close to one of them, which is yes. a sick triceratops. And the sick triceratops, and that is definitely a really great scene. And you get uh, the um, uh, you get Dr. Grant uh, just uh, le- like leaning on the stomach of the triceratops and breathing in and out and in, and you just see like the glee. And this was all uh, done using uh like animatronics animatronics and you i think the the um jim henson folks and other things like worked with them for this no jim henson's company was never involved with jurassic park oh really i thought it was okay the animatronics were all brought to life by stan winston studios who also worked on films like aliens and the terminator movies that's right that's right okay yeah yeah this is one of the biggest animatronic props that would that was transported to Hawaii for the shooting, and it was also the first real dinosaur encounter that the cast got got to experience. So yeah. all their reactions and seeing how lifelike the Triceratops was, that was all genuine. Yeah. Get uh, also the uh, <laughs> the the dino doo doo, which is pretty funny. <laughs> clearly clearly only steven spielberg can do toilet humor yeah all right <laughs> it's pretty good because they're trying to figure out why the triceratops is sick and this is when our group kind of separates because so dr sattler goes to dr harding and uh they to try to help uh the dinosaur 
and uh, Dr. Grant and um, Malcolm and uh, Gennaro all stay behind, uh, but they are going to have to uh, stop the tour early because there is a tropical storm that is coming and uh so that's another problem that's kind of uh making things difficult and uh that most of the uh park employees evacuate and uh so but these they should have evacuated obviously the entire everybody but uh yeah so that is an interesting point because one of the one of the odds that hammond was told about the tropical storm at least a fortnight in advance mm -hmm. And the fact that he still proceeds with the tour anyways shows a fair deal of arrogance on his part, thinking that it would just, you know, go the other go the other way, so to speak. Yeah. Well, and he's like a character that, you know, that basically plays God and uh, and is is com comfortable with that. And, and the fact uh, that he has, and the fact that he sort of uh, resembles the uh, uh, stereotypical image of the bearded. Uh, Christian or Jewish gods is also, I think, very evident in his mannerisms. That's a really good point. I thought of that. Uh, that that's true. I like that. Uh, so, and you do get the the great scene with uh, with Ian Malcolm, where he says, "If I may, I'll tell you the problem with the scientific power that you're using here. It didn't require any discipline to attain it." You read what others had done and you took the next step. You didn't earn the knowledge for yourselves, so you don't take any responsibility for it. You stood on the shoulders of geniuses to accomplish something as fast as you could, and before you even knew what you had, you patented it, you packaged it, and you slapped it on a plastic lunchbox, and now. And what do you think that Ian is kind of trying to say there? Like, uh, they, the, what what do you think he's trying to say there? I think he's saying that Hammond Hammond and Ingen as a whole have approached the whole cloning process cloning process, but also the commercial commercialization of the dinosaurs with such frivolity and naivety that they've just basically inadvertently opened a Pandora's box. Yeah, yeah, and that uh, that you can tell that this is a man who was a flea circus guy you know that he that that, that was the the i that he's trying to create on spectacle as opposed to the true rigors of science you know that that when science and commerce get mixed it's, it's usually pretty messy and mm. hammond tries to i don't think you're giving our us our due credit our scientists have done things which nobody has ever done and ian says yeah but your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could that they stop to think if they should and then you get hammond saying uh saying condors condors are on the verge of extinction if i was to create a flock of condors on this island you wouldn't have anything to say and ian says no hold on this isn't the same species that was obliterated by deforestation or building of a dam dinosaurs had their shot and nature selected them for extinction and uh, and so yeah, what do you you what do you think about that? That uh, just personally, what do you think about that? That when science kind of tries to subvert what nature is trying to do, you because because 
the film is presenting itself as a cautionary tale in the vein of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein yeah. and about not thinking about the consequences of playing God. Malcolm's case about not, uh, about not crossing that threshold and playing God com yeah. com comes off as very strong. It comes off as strong that because even though we've been shown so many moments of, or at least we were shown one very great scene of wonder with the, with the dinosaurs in the yeah. first scene, that it's very easily to be beguiled by the possibilities of, of letting this genetic power sort of flourish in the way that it could and the way it already has in Jurassic Park. Uh-huh. Yeah. But it's also, I do have one sort of wrinkle about it, is that na nature selected dinosaurs for extinction, but do we count asteroids as nature? Or do we count that as an a sort of alien sort of uh -huh. force? Yeah, I mean, is that the only reason they went extinct, though? Isn't it a little more complicated than that? The asteroid was more or less the coup de grace. There were other sizable climate changes happening at that time, but the dinosaurs probably would have survived those if not for the asteroid. Uh -huh. And the asteroid also hit a very geologically active part of the Earth 66 million years ago. Uh -huh. So it was like that what followed was a chain reaction, very alarmingly reminiscent to the to the proton torpedo in Star Wars the chain reaction that ends up that causing a cataclysmic di for, force of destruction mm -hmm. yeah I, I you know it's an interesting thing and he says I simply don't understand this Luddite attitude especially from a scientist I mean how can we stand in the light of discovery and not act and Malcolm says what's so great about discovery it's a violent penetrative act that scars what it explores what you call discovery i call the rape of the natural world i think so. he's going too far there mm -hmm. it's interesting the yeah. first half of his argument concerning the irresponsible use of the technology and uh, our uh, and the potential for human arrogance of playing god and playing mm -hmm. with extinct species that's those are all areas i do agree with uh -huh. but I think he goes too far by saying that discovery is just is just violence. It's a violent just, act. I mean, it makes sense for a chaos theorist, though. It does. To say and that. We see him sort of demonstrate chaos theory with the uh, waterfall, all sort of experiments with Dr. Sattler's hands, as you remember. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Oh, man, this movie has so much in it. Yeah, it's really... And, and, and Dr. Sattler's, well, how can you even know... Uh, how to how can you even know these creatures you know like what you uh how to treat them or how to contain them or whatever and so she makes a really good point and i don't know the whole colonial thing like just freaks me out like creepy now and i think spielberg was very nascent to the possibilities yeah. that could happen 25 years forward from that time period yeah, yeah. after all one after all if one can claim dinosaurs and other extinct animals then cloning humans isn't at all far off the yeah, uh, it, it, the whole thing just creeps me out I, he's gone and he's gone and taken the uh the embryos he's messed up the whole system we also get samuel jackson in uh in this in, in, as a uh, he's sort of the the technical 
guy uh, that's running, helping running the, run the park. Uh, he's famous for his hold on to your butts scene, the line that he says. And uh, that was one thing that irritated me in um, uh, Kong School Island is they actually use that line. I'm like, how can you have Samuel Jackson use his mo- probably his most iconic line? Like, oh, anyway. You uh, didn't but, like how they used it in such a blase fashion. Yeah, no. Uh, well, apparently, apparently uh, the director asked for that line to be written into the script and hoped that Jackson would just go along with it. Uh, and if he didn't ask any questions, then they wouldn't put it in the film. Uh-huh. He didn't ask any questions, yeah. apparently. Ah, oh, I didn't like it. It was not good. But anyway, uh, so but his character is pretty funny, and uh, he uh, and he he's you know like in the control room or whatever. Uh, he's in a very atypical role from what we normally associate with him as Nick Fury and even Frozone. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and uh, and Nedry has all the codes and everything for the system but he goes and he's going to go meet up with this guy uh at the dock to give him the embryos and uh he ends up getting in this car accident and bumbling and stumbling and uh what's the uh raptors that or what's the um dinosaur that that ends up uh with the with the the poison one Dilophosaurus. Dilophosaurus. Yeah, he ends up getting killed by this 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 uh, dinosaur, and that is, so that is a great little death scene because yeah. they show they first portray portray the Dilophosaurus as this you know cute, relatively harmless little dinosaur, yeah, with cute little squeaking noises, and the longer that scene goes on, and the more curious and sort of bold it is, the more you realize, hold on, it wants something with him. Uh huh. And then it unfolds its frill and screams at the top of its lungs. That bit used to make me bolt out of the door as a kid. I, it's still even, I'm just like, I almost want to close my eyes just a little bit. Cause it's like, it's really, it, it, it does. It makes, even though he's a bad guy, it's still pretty, pretty scary. It's uh, a very gruesome way to die. And apparently it's even worse in the book because in the book, the Dilophosaurus blinds Nedry, like square in the eyes. Uh-huh. And the animal that attacks him is much t- much bigger than the one in the movie, and it actually rips Nedry's guts open. There's a passage where he could feel his intestines spilling out before going numb and collapsing. Uh-huh. So, fair Ooh. warning if you do read the book. <laughs> okay, that's good to know. Good yeah, to know. it's probably much. It's much closer in tone to the Alien series okay. than Spielberg's filmography. Cool. Okay. Well, so now there's no chance. We know they don't know, you know, where he is. They don't know if they're able to find him. But like, there's no chance of uh, of him of of anything being restored. We know that because uh, uh, because we know he's dead, and uh, and, and so everything's just in. And most importantly, the visitors have stopped right outside the Tyrannosaurus paddock. I know. In these electric cars, we have. Uh, uh, Gen- Gennaro leaving the kids in the jeep and uh, and going into the bathroom uh, stall or whatever and uh, and you know the kids are like he's really leaving us he's really leaving us and he even leaves the door open 
And, uh, and so we get this scene where the T-Rex is, uh, is kind of looking for them and, uh, and he ends up, uh, killing, uh, Gennaro on the, (laughs) on the toilet. I think that's the first death in the series that's more played for laughs than anything else. Yeah. 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 Uh, but I don't know. I do. What do you think of that? Do you? the scene overall or yeah the scene overall i think I, it's amazing i think yeah. it's obviously this is a film with a lot of gr- iconic cinema scenes uh-huh. and the t-rex breakout is definitely one of them yeah the way they build up to it with first the, the torrential rain uh-huh. then the and then the sudden booming in the distance and the reverberations in the water yeah. and the intense look looks on tim and Gennaro and the realization that something's coming yeah and, and the t-rex looks so good it looks that cg so t-rex amazing. is one of the best special effects not just from the 90s but from any period yeah agreed he looks so real and it looks she, so convincing she, she's she really is and she, yeah this, and, and i like it because they portray her as more of a curious predator than a rampaging godzilla-esque yeah. creature well yeah because you have the the great scene with you have this goat that they're when they're trying to get the t-rex to appear when they do the tour earlier and uh, dr grant says he doesn't want to be fed he wants to hunt and uh, so that kind of is a nice foreshadowing there as well uh, there of what happens later and why why does lex turn on the flashlight what is she trying to do i thought i think she was trying to call for help like call grant for help because we we hear her murmur dr grant just as a t-rex starts breaking the fences yeah but he thinks he'll see the light or something or but beyond that it was a completely stupid and panic driven sort of decision yeah and obviously got both her and him in million a million times more trouble yeah agreed malcolm ends up uh in the um uh he ends up injured uh but he's just kind of hidden in the remains of the uh of the bathroom thing he draws the t-rex away with a flare so he, yeah the flare he yeah. does try to have a hero moment but kind of fails at it <laughs> and uh, one of the i think the scariest moments in the movie and one of the the moments that was the most impactful for me as a uh, as a young young kid uh was is they is when the um the the sunlight the sunroof whatever of the of the um uh, yeah the explorer and the the uh, t-rex comes down and it's all that's between the t-rex and the kids is this piece of plastic basically like that is done that is so scary i think and it's so good the sheer the sheer ferocity of the t-rex's attack on Oh, on the Ford Explorer. Yeah. There's, yeah. Just, there's so much energy and force and sheer horror on display there. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't watch that scene as a kid and it took several repeated tries before I eventually got used to it. It's really scary. And, uh, uh, and they, they, they end up basically, he ends up like tracking, trap, he ends up trapping, uh, like, Lex and Tim uh, under underneath 
the explorer, particularly Tim, his feet are caught in the seats. And so mm. he can't get out. And, uh, and they're finally able to get the T-Rex to kind of move on for, for just a little bit at least. And, uh, and you have then for, for that period, then you have uh, Dr. Grant, Lex, and Tim that are in the park because the, the explorer gets like dumped over the side <laughs> and all of the things. Mm. And, uh, and you know, I mean, that's a pretty, I think a pretty intense scene when they're, he's trying to, uh, Dr. Grant is trying to get the kids from the, the car. Uh, but they're like in this tree and uh, that whole thing. And that, that all I think works really well, even though there's no dinosaurs in that scene, it's still pretty tense. That's one of two scenes where it's man-made constructs yeah, and yeah. man-made yeah. environments that are the real threat rather yeah. than the dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah. It's really and the good. second is the electric fence that grants of the kids climb later. Right. And it is a remarkably tense sequence. Muldoon uh, and Dr. Sattler go to try to find, try to save them, try to find them. And they get there and they're able to get uh, Malcolm. Uh, and they don't know where uh, Lex and Tim and uh, Dr. Grant are. Uh, and they have a scene where you, so you have Malcolm in the back of this Jeep and you have the T-Rex coming <laughs> after them. And that's a pretty good, pretty good. Uh, a very thrilling scene. Yeah, pretty good scene. <laughs> uh, and uh, probably one of the more iconic scenes. Uh, and I can't remember, is that is it in that scene where you see the uh, items in the mirror? Or is that later? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, so that's that's the they parody that in Toy Story 2. Yeah. <laughs> but that's really, really iconic. One of the most iconic scenes, I think, in the in the movie. And they're able to get into the bunker, basically. And uh, then you have Grant, Dr. Grant and Tim and Lex that they are able to find some shelter so that he's able to get some, uh, some sleep. That's when we get that sneezing scene that you were talking about with the- well, uh, We're also reminded of the beauty of the dinosaurs with the Brachiosaurus is singing. Yeah. And they do give you enough sort of breaths in this that- uh yeah. and, and moments of like like the ice cream scene that we already talked about like the where you really get sort of you get to know these characters it's not just sort of mindless action like you somehow sometimes see like you you get moments to to take a breath and be with these characters so i think that's nice and uh and you also see you know for somebody who kind of hates kids like grant like staying up all night to help them and just being like a protector like that's really nice to see and sam neil i think very, does a great job it's also very interesting that the kids actually like grant almost immediately yeah yeah like, there's, no, there's no arc on that part where they have to you know grow to like him it's just it's all on grant basically uh, yeah and uh we we also find out during this time that the grant finds eggs in the wild so he knows that they have actually been breeding and uh, that, uh, uh, that the frog DNA that they used uh, is, can change uh, sex in a single cell environment. And so that's how nature found a way. Uh, a so single sex environment. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, right. So, yeah. And yeah, it's, it's evidence that the 
the nest that they ran into was a velociraptor nest because you see little two-toed footprints scampering yeah. off into the bushes. Ooh. And we should just learn to listen to chaos theorists. Like that's the lesson of Jurassic Park. <laughs> also during the time that you get the, uh, the, the iconic scene with the shirtless the scene. Yeah. With the, shirt. For the longest time, I didn't, I didn't care about it. I just thought, why is this here? Yeah. Uh, What's your but, opinion? I mean, I, I'll take a shirtless Jeff Goldblum any day, so I, I'm fine with it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's fun. I, I, I think it's one of those silly moments, which I appreciate. So, yeah, uh, it's fun. Well, the Phantom of Memes, that's for yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so they decide that they are going to have to reboot the entire system. And so the park shuts down and, uh, and uh, you get this, uh, uh, the um... system ready. Sorry. Yeah. So what's also interesting is that in that scene, the music is still slightly ominous because we're told earlier on that Nedry didn't switch off the Raptor fences. He just switched off the main park fences. Right. So when this happens, that's when you realize the Raptors can break out now. Yeah, you're not told this, but that information is left there in the back of your head to gestate. Right, and so you find out the Samuel Jackson character is going. He has to go to this shed on the other. Isn't that the way things always are? Is the the the, the switch? The switch is always on the other side of the park. Like that's yeah. how they do it here. And so he goes, and uh, so there's also your scene where you have because the power is going in and out, in and out. But they don't know that Grant and uh, Lexi and Tim. So they try to climb the fence, um, and uh, at first they're successful. But then uh, Tim and there's also an element of urgency because they saw the T Rex hunting a herd of Gallimimus, and they hear it roaring in the distance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a great scene. I forgot that that uh, where they're running against the uh, against the those run Gallimimus. They look like, they look like ostriches <laughs> to me. Essentially, they are. Yeah. They're, that's a good, that's a really good scene. Uh, but Tim ends up getting uh, electrocuted because the, that's when the, um, the power goes back and you, you see uh, Dr. Grant doing CPR. Try to say I have Tim. to say, it really is amazing that Tim survived a 10,000 volt shock. Yeah. <laughs> like even if it was just for a split second, I don't know how anyone survives that. Yeah, probably not. Probably not the most realistic, but I don't know. I, I have no the idea. Whole, the whole, even in even in this movie, the whole the whole universe seems to play fast and loose with real real science and physics. Yeah, it's fair. I, but I feel like it's done in a convincing enough way that I buy it. But yeah, it's fair. I it, it's I don't know. Would it be at all like like getting struck by lightning or like a million times worse? I think being struck by lightning is worse. Just off the top of my head. Uh -huh. But I have no immediate frame of reference for that. Yeah, interesting. Anyway, and so uh, they go uh, uh, and uh, try to, uh, when they don't have, when Samuel Jackson character doesn't return, that's when Dr. Sattler and Muldoon end up going to try to, they go to the shed to try to figure out what's going on. And they find his, it's pretty gruesome. They find it. Well, like, that's the thing. Ellie, Ellie finds yeah. Ellie finds 
Mr. Arnold's severed arm in the shed. It's pretty creepy. Yeah. Yeah, it is. As, even as a kid, I was like, ooh! Like, yeah. That's your, I think that was, might have been my first exposure to gore in a movie. Yeah. So yeah, and it, while Ellie is switching the power back on, yeah. uh, Muldoon is hunt, trying to hunt the raptors before they hunt him. Yeah, that's a, and you, I feel kind of bad because he's like the one character that like kind of was aware of the, the, I don't know, like he, the one character that was working for him and that was the most like, uh, most, most of a realist, I guess. And yeah. he, uh, he is not spared by the raptors and that he is killed. And that's a pretty, pretty scary scary moment and uh and then you have so you have grant and tim and lex uh they finally get to the visitor center and they think you have that sense of "Ah, but you know you've still got tons of the movie left so it's not the end uh and uh so he leaves the kids to eat something and he's gonna go try and find sattler and the rest of the crew and uh then the they end up the raptors end up in the visitor center and uh so they you get this really great scene with them in this kitchen hiding from the the raptors and uh i think that works so well the iconic scenes they just keep coming don't they yeah they really do oh it's such a good movie they end up getting joined by grant and dr grant dr sattler and they're they end up in the um in the control room the no no they end up in the ceiling uh, the uh the the, uh, the foyer hall ceiling on top of the uh, yeah. skeletons and i love the scene it's so like oh when when lex crashes through whatever one of the the tiles and she's hanging there and the oh, raptor yeah, is the there yes. and and uh, dr grant's like pulling her back oh my gosh that's that's Grant goes full action hero in that, yeah. in that <laughs> it's scene. It's really good. Like, really the moment good. the raptor rears its head through the tiles, he just kicks it right in the face. Yeah. yeah. And then immediately lurches forward to pull Lex up. Yeah. But yeah. I, now that I understand what you mean, yes, that is a, a really great scene. A really yeah. great it's really good and then you end up with them back in the control room and uh they're um, hold on hold on hold on the uh, the scene we just discussed comes after the control room when they reboot the power is it okay sorry yeah. sorry sorry uh but yeah uh, yeah in the control room uh you have uh the um this scene where the raptors are trying to get in but you have lex there trying to you have uh, you have Dr. Grant and Dr. Sattler uh, holding back their raptors with the door, and you have Lex trying to hack through Nedry's coding and turn the power back on and so that the locks can be uh, it, it initiated. And so that's, a, that's also a pretty tense scene. And there's, only one, there's only one line earlier in the film that suggests that Lex is, in her words, a hacker, although Tim uh-huh. calls her a nerd. So. Right. That's our. That was our foreshadowing for <laughs> foreshadowing. her, for her familiar, familiarity with the Unix system. Yeah. yeah, I think it's it's perfectly functional. Like, as long as you include some kind of a line or some kind of allusion for what's to come in in the same movie or in another movie, then it still works as foreshadowing. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, it works. And you do have like you're like Tim. Why don't you give 
Dr. Sadler, the, the gun, like, why are you just like, but he's just, it also, it also doesn't help that Sadler is positioning herself right next to the hinges of the door, which will do nothing. Because, yeah, I guess that's true. So yeah, so Sadler and Tim are kind of, you know, kind of useless because they're in panic mode and right yeah so it's all just up to lex and dr grant <laughs> yeah. uh but they end up getting uh chased by the raptors uh to the main uh section where the 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 the, the skeletons are, yeah, the, where are the skeletons are on display and they're just about to be cornered when the t-rex comes and kills the raptors and and then and you get the iconic scene of the real T-Rex there with the banner for Jurassic Park. And you get the line from, uh, from Dr. Grant saying, I'm not going to endorse your park. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then Dr. Hammond says, uh, me, either, uh, me. Either. I think it's after careful consideration, I've decided not to endorse your park. <laughs> yeah. And Hammond yeah. says, so yeah. have I. Right. And uh, so they end up uh, leaving on a helicopter uh, with uh, Dr. Mal. Hammond, Hammond looks over his island creation one last yeah. very longing and very sad time. Yeah. Yeah. Get the, yeah, just the iconic music from John Williams. And uh, they're really, I mean, they've had people try to imitate John Williams, but there is nobody, I think, that can create themes, themes like him. Like he just, whether it's, uh, whether it's the Harry Potter, Star Wars, Indiana Jones, uh, Superman, Superman uh, absolutely, absolutely right. And uh, I mean, just, I, there's just nobody is even close i you know you have the i mean the closest maybe i can think of is maybe like alan minkin but i think alan mm. minkin uh does a great job with scores but i think i i like it's not the same as like a theme like it, it, there's just john williams is the theme guy and he's just so great alan minkin can create great themes as we've seen in bc and the beast yeah but he doesn't have as consistent a track record as john williams has for it he has probably a more diverse track record, uh, you know, th with things like everything from Home on the Range to, uh, you know, which is like a Western sort of thing to, uh, to the Aladdin, Pocahontas, uh, uh, yeah, and Hercules, and you know, with gospel, and he's he's really he has a very great diversity. But I don't know, it's just like there's just no comparison between anybody, and I don't think he'll ever John Williams will ever be topped <laughs> as far when as you just say who tries to imitate John Williams. What kind of composer comes to mind? I mean, you have like really solid composers, somebody like an Alan Silvestri uh, that or certainly. Yeah, that does great work, but I don't know. There's just something about particularly like you can literally play two, three notes of John Williams themes and you know, oh, that's Harry Potter. That's uh, Superman. That's Jaws. Like, do, 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 you know, that's all you need. And you're like, oh, there you go. That's Jaws. And uh, I, there's just, it's, a, it's really amazing uh, yeah. what he, he has done. And he, he does shots of the film, I think is also one of the most masterful and conveys so much yeah is that when grant is looking out out of the helicopter and sees a flock of pelicans flying nearby yeah that's a good point con conveying perfectly that not only does life find a way but the dinosaurs actually did find a way they mm -hmm. aren't the 
extinct behemoths lying at the ground, they're all around us today. Yeah, that's the birds. a good point. That's a good point. I thought of that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's true. And uh, uh, and I don't know. It's just a and you you see uh, everybody's safe and everybody's you know happy and uh, One of the, the best happy endings in a in Spielberg's filmography, I think. Oh yeah, agreed. Yeah, for sure. And so, in stark uh, contrast to the novel. In the novel, after getting power back to the islands, they cut all the Costa Rican Air Force, which is made up for the purposes of the book, and they they destroy the island. They hit it with napalm, and all of the dinosaurs are destroyed. Oh, interesting. Okay, what he got right is that it wasn't just on spectacle. It had well-written characters. It had uh, moments uh, of heart that you you are, I think are missing a lot in the the sequels. And uh, I, I feel like they tried to make it logically consistent, which I appreciate. And uh, I don't know. I just, all together, it just makes all those, there were just so many little pieces of this first one that combined together, I think, make it really the perfect blockbuster film. And uh, it's just a movie that I just love. And I kind of, I was thinking about it the other day that that it may just be that the franchise is because the franchise has just basically produced monster movies and that's fine you know like but because i had such a, a an experience with this original film i want it to do to be better than that better than just monster movies you know like i wanted to have better characters and i wanted to make logical consent you know sense to me at least and i want it to be better and um, but i may just have to kind of <laughs> just accept monster movies for what they are i guess i don't know but well, uh, have, yeah my opinions on the lost world and, Jura and jurassic world are a little uh obviously somewhat different from yours that i do yeah. kind of i do have a tendency to see some more in them than i think a lot of people tend to do so uh-huh yeah so it'll be fun to talk about them it'll it will definitely be fun uh we're gonna but do I, think, I definitely think that jurassic park has truly become better with age partly because of the changing landscape of film and fiction but yeah. in large part i think because it had it has heart it had humor it had yeah it had horror it had thoughtful science fiction blended into it, it yeah. had a very clever script yeah i think so too i i it really does it just holds up so well it's so entertaining it's so tightly paced it's not there's not really any part where i'm bored Even and if uh, i want to separate myself from the Jurassic Park sequels and look at it in its own vacuum, I would say that to this day, Jurassic Park helps me be to believe that it can still be wonder in this rapidly transforming world. Yeah. Agreed. I think that's what makes it special is that it has that spectacle and awe. It feels real. It feels believable. Uh, it has great characters. It has great music. It has, it's just so well done. And, uh, it has just a great cast like i said that's very deep we didn't even mention bd wong as one of the scientists uh there's a, such a small role but such an integral one as well yeah 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 like yeah. no actor and no role is wasted right exactly so it's i it's a movie that i really have no i i don't know like no movie is perfect but i really don't have 
any flaws. Like I'd certainly give this one my highest grade, uh, five stars, A plus, whatever kind of a thing. Uh, I, I think it's, it's, uh, I think you have to seriously nitpick for this one to me. Uh, it's, you know, a lot of people feel that way about like the dark Knight or empire strikes back or whatever, but I think that this may be even, even in my eyes, even better than both of those films. And uh, I just, I just love it. So uh, and so we will meet again to talk about uh, the uh, the series, and I'm going to try to see if uh, the if David Healy can join us because uh, he's a huge huge Jurassic Park fan. Uh, but we'll see what we can do. But uh, but anyway, in the interest of keeping surprises up, I want to uh, wait to see what your reaction to Fallen Kingdom was on the next on the next podcast. Right, right. So I'm, I, I'm excited, and uh, even though I wasn't that big a fan of Jurassic World, I'm, and I'm. Ex- a lot of the trailers you found very problematic. Yeah, I didn't love the trailers. I didn't love the trailers. Uh, so, but I do like Jay Bonas. You know, where he's a quality director. So yeah. going into it with an open mind, and uh, we will see. Uh, uh, what. Uh, We'll see what I think. What's in store? Yes, mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming on and talking about Jurassic Park with me. This was really fun. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And how can people find you? You like can find me at, on DeviantArt at, uh, my, my account name is Albion93. Mm-hmm. And, my, uh, and my blog is bestfilmreviews.co.uk. Okay, and and on Twitter, if you want to, and on Twitter is at Albion underscore ninety three. Great, and I'll have links for that uh, in the description section. You can check it out, and you can follow me, of course, at Rachel's Reviews on uh, iTunes and YouTube, and uh, on and at Smiling LDS Girl on social media. So check that out, and I'd love to hear your feedback. What do you think about Jurassic? park what are some of your favorite scenes of the movie uh and um what are your your favorite some of your favorite characters all that fun stuff uh let us know we'd love to hear your feedback so thanks again and uh we will talk in a couple of weeks absolutely looking forward to it okay all right okay bye bye everyone